Welcome to It Came From The Deep, a narrative podcast series based on the novel by best-selling author Maria Lewis. That's me. And I'm Blake Howard, head of One Heat Minute Productions and the guy behind shows such as One Heat Minute, Increment Vice, All the President's Minutes and more. And more, including Josie and the Podcats, a six-part limited podcast series about the 2001 cult film Josie and the Pussycats, which we worked on together. But... We're not here to talk about that today. Today, we're here to break down the latest chapter from It Came From The Deep. You know, if I was giving date advice, I'd say, look, go to the place where the person you're interested in is, lay out some salmon in some tinfoil and (laughs) stack some rocks because baby... Here we are, Lake Pulitz. We're trying to snag a creature from this dark and deep and black Gold Coast lagoon. Marie Lewis, welcome back to It Came From The Deep, our after show of your terrific novel, sending signals from the side of a lake to maybe things that live in there. How are you? Man, I'm, I'm so good because I always forget that you have something in your pocket for every intro of these and I can never guess what it is. And each week I kind of forget that it's coming. And then you just like <laughs> hit me from the blinds. I'm like, Oh my God. It's like, it's always a fun adventure and it takes us on a narrative journey. And that was wonderful. I love that. Get, get, get your salmon out. Salmon out for the mer boys. Salmon out for the mer boys. <laughs> oh shit. Look, we at one minute productions now have a merch store. So, um, if, if salmon out for the mer boys isn't on a t-shirt by the end of this show, I think we've both collectively failed. Um, Seriously, you know how feverish this fandom is. They would eat it up. They would eat it up like salmon left errantly <laughs> on the side of a fucking freshwater lake. <laughs> oh my goodness. So here we are chapter five bonus, uh, just in, in the briefest of recaps, which we'll obviously do as part of every one of these episodes. Um, Kaya is stuck at home and she's counting Big down. Big mood. <laughs> and it's like six days. That's the only thing that's aged poorly. To, like the, is that she's like six days, however many hours you're like, mate, we're at like eight months. All right. You yeah, know. <laughs> she talked to me after six months. Remember, I was just thinking about like when Adelaide was going into six day lockdown and everybody was tweeting like, Hey guys, it's going to be a really tough one. Everybody hang in there. We'll get through these six days. And I was like, <laughs> not to be ungrateful, but I was like, motherfuckers were out at cocktail bars. Well, we were in fucking lockdown for six months. You can handle it for six days. And then they didn't even have to go in for six days. They like they got six hours and they're like, Oh, we made a mistake. My bad, my bad, my bad. Now I want to, yeah. pref- I want to preface this to say that I love my relatives who live in Adelaide. Um, before I say what I'm about to tell you, which is fine. We can share, you know, this is the, this is the kind of relationship we have, but my, yeah, we can share in a public forum. It's fine. (laughs) But my lovely wife, your dear friend, Sam Howard, um, she found out about the Adelaide lockdowns and was just like, and was like, Oh, should we call them like to check that they're going to be okay? And I was like, nah, they're fine. (laughs) I just straight up was like, no, that'd be good. (laughs) Six days. They're fine. They're fine. They're They're fine. fine. They're totally fine. They're fine. They're Um, fine. So Kai's been stuck at home and mm-hmm. obviously, you know, the, the paps are camped out on her place. Um, it's hard for her to c- continue living a life in the way that she's going to do. And the only sort of respite that she's had actually being allowed out of the house or her dad, um, Casey and her brother Storm, who've kind of been her, her keepers, if you like, um, is a sort of a very tactical run on the beach uh, to, to, to maintain exercise, but to be very sort of 
clear that they can stay away from any of the uh, media attention that's coming on her. But we then also get her sneaking out to Lake Pullet. Something is drawing her there. We kind of already know what that is. Um, and we're starting to see that build up, but it's, it's, it's exciting nonetheless to sort of see her drawn back and just those little details. Like ultimately sometimes what I love about your story and it makes me realize it about the Gold Coast is the Gold Coast as a spot has a beautiful quality of being so malleable as a space in that in some moments you say it feels like a big city because it's got media and it's got celebrity and it's got, you know, all this sort of glamour, even if it's sort of soiled or it Kappa glamour, as we've discussed in previous episodes of the show. <laughs> Go back. Or, or it's just a small town somewhere where you can jump on a push bike and go to somewhere that's close to your house. And especially with an athlete, you know, who's jumping on a push bike, like, you know, a few 20 kilometers or 15 kilometers on a bike for an athlete is like, you know, it's, it's, it's just like sort of taking a walk out to your, to put rubbish in your, in your bin basically for a normal person. So um, I love that about this part of the story. And uh, it's, it's really funny. Um, The only thing in this whole book that ages this particular text in my mind is Kaya's favorite shows right now because that. Oh, I'm so glad you had them ready because I had the list. I was, <laughs> I was like, like he's going to want to talk about this. <laughs> I want to talk about it because it's like you've got this moment in time. It feels very contemporary. It feels like it could be happening like right now. Any year that wasn't 2020, it could be happening right now. You know, that that mood, that life, the, the, the sport, everything that's going on in the Gold Coast, um, but being stuck at home watching Teen Wolf uh, and Insecure and Clever Man, that puts you in Festival. a very specific space and time. Insecure, still releasing, so no. go fuck yourself. No. Current in- as ever. Insecure and rules. we live in this, excuse me, we live in the streaming age. <laughs> okay. People don't watch shows necessarily in a, it's not like we're living in 2002, Blake, where you have to watch a certain show at a certain time as it airs weekly on television. People rediscover shows years after the fact and because all of the seasons are there, as like collected volumes that people can just smash and binge one after the other. It's extremely believable that somebody could have discovered Teen Wolf like concurrently. Um, Insecure is just, that's, that's viewing. Insecure still rules. You know, that's a, that's one of HBO's staples over the last couple of years. Great show. Um, And it's funny that you say that because like I only just discovered what was, I can't even remember. Was it 2020? Perry Mason started in 2020 or 2019? Yeah. Perry Perry Mason was February 2020. Yeah. So that feels like 45 years ago. And I started it like two weeks ago. Yeah. And, and you know why I know that. that is because as they were finishing up Watchmen, they had the advertisements ah. for Perry Mason and same with The Outsider. So they were all bleeding into each other. So it's like, there. I, I don't know. I just, I don't feel like there's timelines on shows anymore because- it's just, you can, it's all sitting there. Even like we were talking about this with Mandalorian, Mandal, <laughs> how I'm trying to wait until the season is over so I can just slam it all because I was watching the first season week to week like everybody else and it was fucking killing me. <laughs> so I want to go full Queen's Gambit and be up to like 5am in the morning just hanging out with me little Yoda boy. <laughs> me little baby Yoda boy. So PTSD this time talk to me about talk to me about that like 
very vivid imagery that you would know probably better than anyone from both sides. One, knowing the characters, but two, being a journo, being camped outside a target's house, waiting there for the story, waiting for a pat pick, waiting for something to happen. Like, tell us all about like the, the great sort of establishing, uh, uh, you know, moments or mood of this chapter. Well, it's something that I've been on the other, I've, I've been on both sides of this, been at friends places who have been on the other side of a media storm and we've been camped inside the house and I've been uh, putting my phone on airplane mode. So work doesn't know where I am. Um, like I was off at the time. This, I'm not going to mention this specific incident or what it was, <laughs> but I had my phone on airplane mode because I was like, if it just rings out that I don't feel like, you know, I didn't feel responsible to have to answer the phone or answer the text because they don't really care about the person. They care about like, are you close to that person? Can you get a quote in? Can we slip in? Blah, 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 blah. And yes. I could be like, oh, it's just out of range. It was that at, you know, Mad Tambourine or something weird looking for bunyips or whatever. Um, so know how that feels when you're Big, inside. Big can... for our international listeners. Bunyip is... Sure. No, the Yowie is, oh, Yowie Yowie. is Bigfoot. Bunyip, different, different. Oh, Yowie's... Yowie is uh, like archaeologically supposed to be the ancestor to Bigfoot. So Yowie came first and then Bigfoot is supposed to be a descendant of Yowie. Anyway, that's another life. Um, <laughs> so I know how it feels when you're in a house like that. It feels like you're in a, in a weird kind of prison because you also have to be careful like what windows you walk past or what kind of geography the house is. But because this mansion and Casey's mansion is on – Hedges have, it makes it tricky to do a stakeout, but at the same time, they're quite protected. So really all they have to do is just stay inside, which seems simple enough, but can make you go a little crazy as most of us have found out in 2020, but especially when the stakes are very high and a stakeout like this really only happens if you're a, a certain type of celebrity and a lot of the elements to create that perfect storm are right. But B, if it's a slow news week, if there's nothing else to draw the eyes. So that's why they're really bunkering down because if you give them nothing, eventually they'll go away because there's nothing to get. And it's also like an, there's an added sort of pressure to the situation because Kate, we spoke about this on the last episode, Casey's flaws as a certain type of generational Australian man, not just when it comes to dealing with race and race and gender specifics, but also as somebody who has weaknesses as a man, he's not used to sticking around. There's references to it, to, to it, you know, in the early chapters in the book when things got really tough, obviously like he paid for the best lawyers that money could buy and all that kind of stuff. But as soon as the big drama was over, he got the fuck out of Dodge and he can't do that this time. So that's a tough situation for him, but it's also a tough situation for Storm and Kaya knowing that because they can't help but feel that sort of sense of abandonment that when their one parent, not their two, their one parent, um, when the going gets tough, he kind of gets going towards whatever the nearest low pressure system is off the coast of Hawaii. Yeah. And, <laughs> it's a very and specific it, example, but you know what I mean. But it's also, it's, you know, there's a few things I want to tack into there. One is if you're in a cul-de-sac where they are like literally media, a media scrum can just be a cork and just block everything in there. So they're not just looking for Kaya. They are looking for KC because she's like an heiress, like in the nicest possible way. Like they want to see him. They want to get the color, like anything. It's that just happens- as good getting a shot of him going to the of letterbox, course, you know, like, or even storm, you know, like those yeah. are the kind of people who would be, if they're not in the stories in the newspaper, 
they were at an event, they would be snapped for the social pages. You know, exactly. they're familiar faces on the local scene. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, it's it's that entire dynamic. And I, and I love what you said is like, it's really funny. I think you nail it as a character trait because it's a common character trait. You see, it's like, there's this weird thing that happens with a certain generation. and Maybe it's Australian male. Maybe it's like this profile of like, they abandon their families like in those moments that are tough, they abandon their family or not abandon, but like they, they have a purpose and they go and fulfill it. But then they play like a mentoring and fatherly role so well in other forums of their life. And then they come back to their own family and it is completely difficult for them to manage. And I think it's like, whether it's, you know, the sport, whether it's, you know, people that they have a kinship with who are still that same level of focus or they, you know, see themselves in other people. It's like that kind of harder reflection to look at yourself through your children, I think is really interesting because, you know, KC is not used to that, you know, but, but now it's like, you know, strap on your, strap on your novelty barbecue suit because that's about as serious as <laughs> this lockdown at their house is going to get, you know, these is these novelty WQ apron is about the only thing that he's going to be there for and, and try and cook to find, you know, to find that he's being useful. You know, I, um, you know, uh, one of the things that I can deeply relate to is, um, you know, when my, when my beautiful wife had a, a, a baby girl, I felt more useless than anything. So the, the best thing that I could do was like, you know, strap on an apron and start cooking, you know? So it's like him, him in this situation is like, I'm not going to know how to talk this out. So may as well just start cooking up a feed. But that's interesting you say that because cooking is for sure your love language. Like when you're like, whenever I come back home to visit or something and you're like, oh, I'm so glad Maz is here. The way you show that is by like cooking French delicious toast. food. French, French toast. toast or like a special like Chef Cubano or something like that. Like that's your love language. And for Casey, it is in a way as well, but he's also trying to add padding. He's trying to add other people within their circle and within a certain amount of safety, but to sort of put a buffer there between him confronting his uh, failings as a father. Like he's a good father <laughs> compared to ours. Um, but <laughs> that's a subterranean bar. But <laughs> at the same time, that doesn't mean that he's perfect. There is like no. some serious issues there and they've been through some serious shit. So it's interesting and also like the apron is just kind of like the apron, the shows, the dog Quint being around, all little things like that are really important. Just those like tiny little details, even smell. Like there was um, Litwick, Litwick Candles, which is, I, you, you don't know this, you're not big on the bookstagram, but on bookstagram, candles and like lit literary inspired candles are a big deal and there's this chick litwick incredibly talented full-on like from memory like a proper museum curator just as like a side hustle making candles but she made uh all these it came from the deep candles um and gave them to me at an event and i was just like absolutely blown away That's and all so of being incredible I know, uh, mate. <laughs> I was just like, it was you, the first you are blowing time. my, you are blowing my mind. Well, like... you wait because it, it ended up becoming a bit of a thing. Now people give me candles all the time, based like different people based on the different books, right? Oh my God. And I didn't know this. This was sort of my first exposure to like the bookstagram candle thing. And so she gave me these, it came from the deep candles that the scent was inspired by specific things in the book. 
So like, since I know, dude, if people could see your face right now, this is an audio medium, but your little <laughs> eyes were just like, whoa, but it was like sea salt and like, just like really specific things that are mentioned only in passing. And, um, you know, there were some candles for the witch who caught a death and they made character based candles. So they made a different candle for each character based on things that were mentioned or associated with that character. And just people like really, I put those details in there to try and like flesh out the worlds and make them feel authentic and lived in and realistic. And oftentimes that work should be invisible, right? Like it, it pays off in ways that you don't necessarily know. It should be subconsciously successful. And then other times there's people who really pay attention to that kind of stuff and, you know, make amazing things like candles that are, so are based on random ingredients. But yeah, just when you mentioned that with the apron and then I was thinking about the shows and the house and even like things like how sand on tiles is supposed to feel under your feet, just those little shades that help make Kaya and Storm and Casey's world, especially in this chapter where it's very domestic focused, trying to make those details really pop in a way that, that feels like you're going there as a reader, like you're in that house with them for six days as they slowly get on each other's nerves and start to want to break the fuck out as Kaya eventually has to do. And, and you, you, add, you do the perfect thing for people who are subconsciously driving each other insane or at least passive aggressively driving each other insane. Let's invite a friend over <laughs> so we can, so we can deflect some of the shitty fucking energy. That's what I meant by energy. the buffer. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I meant. Like that's such a way to do it, you know, like to invite, you've been that situation where well, you've All been invited over to a friend's house or something and you get there and you're excited to see them and you don't necessarily know what's going on in their life or that there's been some beef behind the scenes and you pick up on the vibe real quick. You're oh, like, oh I'm, a, I'm a buffer right now. It's, 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 <laughs> it's like smelling something burning when you go into a friend's house and that's the go because you go in there and it's like... <sighs> Uh, yeah, do, let's get a coffee. Like, do you want to go down the road? <laughs> like, let's get out of this space immediately. Get the fuck out. Let's get out of here. Um, Cabby, you know, what's so funny. I was reading this book back and I literally, I, I, I might have to go and find it and plug it into this episode. It's you recounting a story of carrying a blade um, and risking any kind of charge um, because you would rather protect yourself. And there is literally a line in here where Cabby is explaining how her mum gave her mace and she would rather get the charge than not protect herself. And I read it and I had to read it. And then I even listened to the great audio chapter that is currently up in this feed um, in the immediately preceding this episode in the feed. And I'm like, this is literally what you said like an episode ago, but it was in writing. So it is just, I mean, it's funny how, you know, you're, you know, I think, I think a lot of times and whether, you know, whether you're a, a male writer or a female writer, you ever write someone who is around your age or around your, you know, your, your, your nationality, or they came from the same hometown as you, eventually there are going to be parts of yourself that manifest in those sorts of things. And I think a lot of the time people are like, Oh, it's Tommy Grayson. It was like, shut up. Yes. I fucking told you that every time, man, every time someone says that to me, I'm like, you don't know me fucking at all. You don't know. So, so it's, it's, but, but it's like funny that in this moment, cabbie is like that, that essence of, sort of that sort of blustery and like forthright um, and kind of like girl wisdom. Like it, that, that's yes. your voice as undiluted as possible is coming through in this chapter through her. 
Yeah, Cabby's very street smart. And also, this is just like to comment on just like on the Tommy Grayson thing specifically, but I think it's also just because people look for you in main characters and oftentimes that's never where you are. I mean, I've no. spoken about it before and who's afraid, um, you know, I'm, I have share most in common with somebody like Mari, you know, who's yeah. a journalist and somebody who's, you know, digging up dirt or whatever, even though I did base that character on um, a real life person, a real life couple. Well, to get to that later in later <laughs> chapters of uh, this podcast, but Cabby in particular, like you just, when you write a book, you throw yourself into it like a blender and you end up sprinkled all over the joint. And that little line that she says to, to Kaya about that, yes, that is also how I feel about carrying a um, undisclosed weapon, <laughs> <laughs> which is a blade, but I also have mace. Um, and it was given to me by a friend uh, in the US actually. And I brought it back with me to Australia, knowing full well that it's illegal to have in this country. But again, like fucking rather cop the charge than end up like buried in the ditch like take me to court i don't give a shit <laughs> take me to bleeding. court i'd rather be not buried in a ditch but <laughs> um. cabby is really essential in this chapter too because the big push the big sort of catalyst for kaya going to lake palats right which is a seemingly crazy thing to do and Kaya's fully aware that she what she's doing is crazy and that's kind of why she's going is she wants confirmation either way I'm crazy or I'm not. And this will be the way that I confirm it, right? And she starts getting those little breadcrumbs. But Cabby is really important in this chapter, but also in the next chapter as well, specifically because she doesn't immediately write Kaya off. And there's something in their relationship, even though Kaya considers them situational friends when she describes her in the first and second chapter, she's like, you know, we have a really great friendship at training and she really respects Cabby as an athlete. She's the best swimmer in the squad, better than Kaya. But their friendship, for whatever reason, has never really transcended the situation of the swimming pool and yeah. training there. And this incident in the past, like, you know, week has has been the bridge to them becoming more than just situational friends, to becoming real IRL friends, which is why in the hospital, she shares more with her than she shares with anyone else. And when Kaya does kind of, you know, sort of not confess is the wrong word, but sort of hint at some of the concerns that she might be having or hint at what she's really feeling. The fact that Cabby doesn't write her off, the fact that Cabby has empathy and compassion for the situation yeah. but also hat comes to it through the lens of not a Caucasian Australian is really important because every culture views stories and mythologies differently, right? There are versions of mermaid stories, selkie stories, any kind of aquatic humanoid stories in every culture, yes. regardless. And they have different names depending where you are. When Kavi talks about Mama Wata, that's like a sort of a traditional African myth and legend, but it's very present. It's not something that's even considered past. And obviously in many ways, the, the sort of belief is that, you know, you get told stories like this, like don't go into the forest because of X, Y, Z thing, or don't go into the jungle because of that. And it's in a way supposed to be teaching kids things, you know, don't stray too far from the village or don't stray too far from your parents because there's, you know, unseen dangers that lurk, but also for people who are not from the same cultural background as Kaya and Storm 
and Casey, they're very in tuned with the world and ancestors in an ever-present way. And the same way like Polynesian culture, in particular Maori culture, views the land and bodies of water and rivers as living, breathing entities that are physically a part of them in a way that might not necessarily be understood by somebody from say Scotland. But then again, there are Celtic beliefs that are very specific and unknowable, unknowable, I guess, to people not from there. And so that's kind of what I wanted to tap in with her. And because Cabby is not from the same cultural background as the Craig family, it gives Kaya a bigger perspective than what she would have under normal circumstances in a way that I think is, is really important and becomes important later on as, um, as we see events unfold, I say, while carefully trying to. (laughs) Yeah. We're we're not going to jump too far ahead, but I I think um, there is something deeply underrated uh, in a lot of great pop culture, which, you know, I think one of my favorite movies of all time and I know it's one of your favorite movies is the exorcist. And there's a relationship that Ellen Burstyn's character, Chris has with Jason Miller, who plays father Karras or father Karras. I can't remember the exact pronunciation off the top of my head. And there's this great relationship that they have because the, this one of the most terrifying things in that movie and continues to terrify is when a whole chorus of white doctors are standing around Chris and telling her that everything is fine with her daughter. She's just got ADHD. She's having seizures. They are layering um, contemporary science and medicine over this sort of subterranean belief structure. And that's like, there's this great yawning gap between those things, this civility of modern society and myth and terror and demons and um that that world and so what i kind of like in a cool way is that you address that right up front with the ptsd thoughts and sort of kai internalizing going look i might actually be going nuts but in this moment i just need someone to kind of go with me just for a second that there might be a problem and you know that's not saying that we're eventually going to get you to like a max moncito father marin sort of you know exorcism or anything like that but i'm just saying that sometimes you just need an accomplice that doesn't completely write you off as being a fucking lunatic right from the outset and i love that that juxtaposition of like, if you're talking about what really works about urban fantasy, it is going, okay, this is nuts, but, and so I think, but, dot, 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 dot. And I think you do that really well in this. And I love those relate. I love those relationships in movies. I love those relationships in this kind of genre because it's that just that, but, and that tension of like, we now have to be immersed in this thing. We know nothing about. Yeah. And I think it's also important that like, a lot of these characters, it's all about the portrayal of these characters too, you know, the person who is the open door to possibility. And in this instance, it's Cabby in many, many, many different ways. But you pick any sort of fantasy title, Harry Potter, the open door person is Hagrid, for instance. The worst example of that (laughs) is from Richard Donner's ill-fated conspiracy theory, uh, (laughs) Mel Gibson's character, who is like this conspiracy theorist who, you know, was experimented on, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, that's the worst example of that. What you are aiming to do or attempting to do is to have a character who 
isn't necessarily a, isn't a conspiracy theorist at all in any way or shape or form. And Cabby is not that. She's also somebody who isn't necessarily set in her beliefs, but she's somebody who is open to the possibility and yes. she understands and feels ever present the the very physical nature of ancestors and of mythology and of world and in a way that we meet a few other characters that start to pop up who who do that as well like cabby is not a disbeliever she would never just write somebody off in a way that um a lot of times you have those characters like the white nonsense characters i guess yeah. <laughs> you know that that saying like what is this some white nonsense you know like <laughs> in the same way that like water for me personally means something very different to the person I sit next to on the tramp. For me, it holds extreme spiritual significance, but yeah. also something that is really important to my soul and to my physical being in a way that to the person next to me, it might just be, oh, that's just a lake. Oh, that's just you know an ocean. Oh, that's just, you know, insert thing here. And I just didn't want to have any uniformity in the way that people think. And that was was really important because as we'll learn by the end of the book and as we learn throughout the whole Supernatural Sister series, these books like this, like it came from the deep where you're looking at things on a micro level as an entry point, things go macro real quick. Yes. And we need to be gradual and patient in the journey to get there, um, which is why this, this sort of like the laying the groundwork chapters is so important. You can't necessarily rush into it when you are ready to like to step your foot off the edge of Lake Palats and plunge in. You want to make sure that the reader's not only being like, yes, 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 do it, but that they're there with you for that next step. All right. So we get, we, we, we're getting up to female stake outs next to lakes together, which is immensely fun. But I have to I ask, that. I have to ask you the significance. And I don't know if you've got an answer for this, but the significance of the pebbles because I've now read this a few times and I've seen the way that the pebbles are portrayed and I'm like, maybe knowing how fastidiously you research, is there some weird thing about the pebbles and communications and rock formations that you found in your research that you use that? Or was it a function of how would this be a way to show someone could be communicating without verbally communicating? Like, well, like this- is it, you know, I, I'm going to be like, jo- it's not like Jodie Foster in contact, you know, getting her like, uh, and, uh, you know, the 19, uh, whatever it was, the 1936 Olympiad, um, a message from Hitler coming back. This is just some rocks, but um, still I wondered if there was any kind of uh, particular cultural thing that you were going for there or that inspired you with that bit of communication. It was several different things, to be honest. It was trying to find ways she's trying I sort of, she accidentally opens the door to communicating with something or someone, and she's not necessarily sure that verbal communication is a possibility. So how do you communicate with somebody who can't talk? And I actually, I did quite a bit of research with different marine biologists and experts in this field about how you try and communicate with hyper-intelligent marine life, like dolphins, but also like killer whales, for example, are super fucking smart. And oftentimes it has to be, um, it can, you can get get really minute in the details, but to start off, you need simple things. And that can be either big shapes or big colors or different things that have different textures, tastes, et cetera. And even in something like, this is a very bad example of it not being portrayed realistically, but in Congo, 
when they're communicating <laughs> with Amy. Yeah. <laughs> they use simple gestures to start off with, right? So it was trying to tap into that, like you use a lot of simple gestures, but it has to be something that would be accessible from the geography of the lake. So it couldn't be like she's bringing a bunch of red balls and blue balls to Lake Palats because that's immediately assuming too much. It has to be something where you can use what's in the environment to, to be able to start that kind of conversation. But also there's a lot of different, um, like the stacking of rocks and positioning and rocks and Wiccan, like Wiccan practices and just trying to mix a lot of different things in there you know like it's not a witch at the bottom of the lake but there is significance to communicating through you know what good title for a future book the witch <laughs> the at the bottom witch of the lake, the bottom of the lake. <laughs> now i already did a witch witch something <laughs> but this is also the chapter because when casey i'm um, sorry when caddy and kaya are like doing the stake out at the lake and then when kaya's going there by herself this is the first time properly that we really start to see the geography of the lake come into play yeah. and that will happen more and more. And, you know, if you had a physical copy of it came from the deep um, in the opening pages of the book, you'll see there is a map drawn by an amazing artist from Fargo in the U S called Alison Tyree, who did a physical map of Lake Palat. So you could get a rough idea for the geography. We'll include a link to it in the show notes and I'll put it on the Twitter thread that I post each week. That's just updating, you know, useful bits and tidbits and links and things for things that we talk about in the episode. But that geography starts to come into play and it will come into play more as, as things pan out. But even the entrance, which Kaya takes, you know, that goes off if you know the Gold Coast very well, obviously Lake Palat's fictional lake, but loosely based on Lake Humans, right? Which is in, uh, you know, belly waters slash mermaid waters, depending on how strict you are with geography. But the entrance that Kaya takes to get to the lake, she's trying to go a way that, you know, she'll less likely to be seen, but gives her a lot of exit routes, given what happened there last time and how weird it would be that she's caught there. So she's, you know, riding her bike along Rio Vista Boulevard and, you know, trying to, exit and entry along there and you know sitting on the lawn in a way that if somebody <laughs> looked out their window at night and they're like what the fuck like it's just somebody <laughs> sitting on the lawn they're like somewhere that you could realistically hide or quickly flee to if you need to so all those like things come into consideration um because it has because- to be believable and, and once you have that geography also, like, especially, I think this is the extra stuff of people who are even passively familiar is on the Gold Coast, people are sticky beaks. Like it's, it's not, it, it's, especially no, in that area, in that area, well. in that area, it's like, there's a weird thing that happens. And, you know, we've talked about it a few times on the show. It's like, it's not an area that late at night people are very active like i would find myself for a run in the evenings or whatever or you're coming back your your car can sometimes be the only person on a road like if you went to see a you know a late night movie at rabina or whatever you're the last person on that road and there's not many people around so the idea that someone is on a bike on a push bike and especially someone as tall intimidating and as very visibly recognizable based on the little world that you've constructed like this big tall amazonian blonde chick is just like bombing around in a park at night people are going to like stick their head out and go what's she doing um and so yeah i think that that's a very uh it's sort of like a critical part of what you're doing as well that's um there's you know uh, I think it also is like a coastal town thing. Like, especially in Australia, maybe it's 
because there was like a lady who lived across the road from, from our family who knew everything about our family and had never been to our house and never met my family. Like had just like from the comfort of her own balcony had like sticky beaked who we all were asked around. And like, she was just like this, like, you know, this, you know, um, font of information if you like and i just feel like there are those people out there in your world and even though you don't get to interact with them in this chapter but are there so like she's got to be hyper sensitive to that and especially also she's being followed like you know imagine being a journo on your way home and you've been camped out the front of her house and you see her bumming around on a bike you would just go oh oh, oh, jackpot here i'm gonna follow what she's doing stakes are so high on like a local level regard like the game that she thinks she's in right now is seemingly like the toughest game ever. And little does she know the world she's about to step. Like that game is just the fucking warm up, and she yeah. thinks it's the main event and things are about to get only more hectic going forward and the stakes even higher. But in her world and the game that she thinks she's playing, like that would be, she'd be fucked. It would be like such a scoop. If you're like Kaya Craig seen sneaking out at night riding to the scene of the crime incognito and like her father doesn't know her brother doesn't Carry, know carrying she... only one foiled salmon <laughs> yeah but uh, like you know the other thing with the foiled salmon and you talked about stones and stuff um there's you know in the shape of water where she has the eggs and she's like eating the eggs on the side and like where i remember when i saw that movie for the first time and it came from the deep, had already been published. It had been out for um, maybe like a year and a half or thereabouts by that point. And I remember being so delighted by that because I was like, fuck yeah, I got it. <laughs> like, obviously I use stones and salmon. It was a different kind of thing, but, um, and they use eggs, but you need like that icebreaker in a way that's nonverbal and in a way that's just weird enough but also just playful enough that can be the thread to more you know like the the little tease that leaves the protagonist curious but also not necessarily totally terrified is there one thing that is there anything that we haven't covered in our excavation of this chapter that you wanted to shout out before we wrap um Shout out to Bundaberg Diet Ginger Beer. Hashtag please sponsor me. (laughs) (laughs) Now a word from our sponsor. We're at commercial. I want a Bundy sponsorship so bad. I'm the most loyal customer. Mate, I am big, long time. Like, obviously their ginger beer is like super famous. But when they started doing the diet ginger beer about 10 to 12 years ago, it really changed the game. Bundaberg ginger beer is distinctly refreshing anytime. But to taste this quality, naturally brewed ginger beer at its most mouth-watering, it's best to invert the bottle before opening. Bundaberg ginger beer, refreshingly different. The flavor's better. The texture's better. It just, like, is a better drink top to bottom. It's an amazing mixer. The spice ginger beer they do at Christmas. Oh, all of it. So when I slipped that in there, um, that was kind of, that's that's just something I put in there for mates and for friends. (laughs) And and, and also for someone who lived with you, I can strongly say that 
our sponsorship would be really helpful for, for your overall bank account balance because, and mine, to be honest, because now, especially in summer, there is never not diet ginger beer. There's always that little, that, that little, what is it? Is it called? Is it called festive or spice or cinnamon or something? What's it's, the one? It's spiced ginger beer. Spiced so they ginger do it beer. for, for those for who Christmas. don't know, the greatest drink to ever exist. Spiced ginger beer. It now has become, it, first of all, when they first put it out, and I remember what year it was because it was 2016. It was a very big moment. It was so popular that it never got out of Queensland. <laughs> they started stocking it there there's and it was lot, selling out of, so fast they people, couldn't restock over the border. It was crazy. There's a lot of and people then, who've, who are, who are peddling that rumour about themselves. I'm so famous I could never get out of Queensland. Mate. They wish they had the fucking n- notoriety spiced ginger beer from Bundaberg has. But then the next year they made it across the New South Wales border. And I was like, oh, shit. Shit, here we go and it was like again it was something that would sell out quite quickly but they're also only sold for a limited time and if you're in the southern hemisphere where christmas and the festive season is hot that whole like you Ugh. know pumpkin spice lattes or gingerbread lattes thing it's not really it's not big here because of the weather but spice ginger beer gives you all the appeal of a mariah carey festive concert in your mouth and that's what you want and as for the bank account i have a separate like draw is not the right word a separate cupboard in my house that is just always stocked with (laughs) Bundaberg products which I learned from your wife because (laughs) she is like an OG survivalist who would always have like a bunch of stuff in the fridge but then she would have like a carton of Coke Zero's just in the cupboard, just in case. So I became her because I was like, this is a great tactic. So I'll have like, you know, a diet ginger beer in the fridge. I'll have some Coke Zeros in there, always chilled and a spiced ginger beer. And then I have an entire backup cupboard because I don't want to be left without, like just kill me. Well, look, if this isn't the greatest advertorial of all time, I feel like if, if, if this was a John Laws show, we'd be being skewered by the media uh, for, for just uh, pay for cash or comment. But um, I'd love this. Mate, I ha- I'll comment for cash. <laughs> Give me some cash. We will do. Spawn con. <laughs> Seriously, I, if, it, if another ginger beer brand reached out to me and they were like, we'll give you X amount of money to do an ad read or, you know, wear a shirt or whatever and we'll sponsor you. I'd be like, no, I'm sorry. I have integrity as a consumer and it's Bundaberg or Bundano, my friend. It Came From The Deep is a narrative podcast series based on the novel from bestselling author Maria Lewis, read by Sophie Parr and produced by Adam Boys at Thaumaturgy Post-Production Services. New chapters release every week with bonus episodes dropping in between with Maria Lewis and myself, Blake Howard, breaking down the plot, inspirations and writing process. It Came From The Deep is part of One Heat Minute Productions. If you think aquatic humanoids deserve rights to, please like, subscribe and share with your mermaids.